Amen. So I read a I read a funny story recently. I wanted to share with you it's a story about this uh, this author who, who uh, he writes about. He also volunteers as a as an umpire for a softball league, like a rec softball league in his town. And um, he tells this story about how he was driving one day, uh, driving too fast down the road, and this policeman pulls him over and uh, and gives him a speeding ticket. He said, "I tried to talk him out of it. I gave him all kinds of excuses and reasons. I told him I was worried about." You know, my insurance going up and all these things, and it just, nothing. The policeman just said, uh, sir, the best advice I can give you is just, you know, go to court and try to get it reduced or thrown out, and then he handed in the ticket. He said, uh, months later, when it got to softball season, softball season came around, and he's, he's standing behind the plate as the umpire getting ready for the game to start, and the very first person that walks up to bat is that policeman that gave him the ticket. And um, he said he immediately recognized the policeman. The policeman immediately recognized him, and he kind of smiled and nervously said, hey, uh, you know, how how did it go with that ticket? And uh, the umpire said, sir, the best advice I can give you is swing at everything. <laughs> In other words, right, this was his chance to get even. Some people call that poetic justice, right? And um, today, we're going to talk about justice. But, but that's actually not the kind of justice that we're going to talk about, even though that might be a little more entertaining and a little more gratifying. We're going to talk about uh, the justice of Jesus. Uh, today's the fifth Sunday of this season of Lent that we're in, and it's the fifth Sunday of this series that we've been doing called The Jesus-Shaped Life and, and what it means to live a Jesus-Shaped Life. So we've been looking at these different things that, that make up the life of Christ that we, we're seeking to, uh, to allow God to do in and through our lives as well. And so today, we're going to look at this topic of, of the justice of Jesus. I wonder what you think about when you think about justice. What, what comes to mind for you? You know, uh, it's likely that most of us, when we think about justice, our, our minds go to circumstances like the one I shared just a minute ago about, uh, you know, the, the good guy being rewarded or the bad guy getting punished or, or things being even or fair, and we call that justice, right? Uh, and that's not wrong, right? My, my kids are very interested in that, that kind of justice, right? <laughs> uh, it usually shows up around my house in cries for justice that sound like this. Maybe you've heard this before. That's not fair. He got to do that, so, so why can't I get to do this? Or, or, or she's getting to go there, why don't I get to go there, right? Uh, in the name of justice, and, and, and so on and, and so forth. What other ideas of justice do you have that come to mind? Uh, for, for me, there was a, a youth minister. I was a youth minister for a number of years, and when I was a, a youth minister, I used to go to these youth conferences, and there was this youth minister that was pretty famous, and he was always a, a speaker at, at conferences, and he would introduce himself, and he would talk about, he would always have this phrase. He said, I am a Christian by the grace of God, but I am a youth minister by the justice of God. And he would talk about what a handful he was as a, as a teenager, and now he's working with those same teenagers in his life as if God was kind of getting even with him. Maybe y'all can relate. Some of you parents, maybe you can relate to that as well. Um, but, it's just, but again, it was sort of this idea, and he was kidding, but it was sort of this idea of, of justice means getting even, right? Uh, but, but here's the deal. As much as maybe we would like for that to be the case, justice is not about 
getting even, is it? Um, when justice is about just getting even, uh, sometimes all we do is, is, is trade one offender for another, one aggressor for another, one oppressor for another. And the reason for this, I believe, part of the reason at least, is uh, because we live in this fallen, broken world with, with fallen broken people. And we've talked about this a couple of times over the last few weeks. As human beings, we tend to be more concerned with the love of power than with the power of love. And, and so there are so many issues of injustice in the world today confronting us as a result of that, as a result of our choosing the love of power over the power of love, as a result of us living in this broken, fallen world. And, and I made a little list it's not an exhaustive list, and um, you could probably put just as many in here, but I thought about things like racial and, and gender equality, human trafficking, other abuses and, and exploitations, um, poverty, hunger, political division, climate concerns, many, many, many more. But the point is, as Christians, we have to acknowledge that things are not as they should be, right? But also as Christians, we get to acknowledge that things are not as they're going to be, right? We have this hope uh, of Jesus returning, right? Uh, and, and making all things new and making all things right. Uh, the author of the book, Jesus Saved Life, Steve Cordell says it like this. He says, justice won't be complete or perfect until Jesus returns, we will always have to live with some unfairness and injustice until then. But that doesn't mean that we simply shrug our shoulders and accept it. Uh, and I love this simple uh, sentence that he has that follows that up. He says, love acts. Love acts. So one of the first questions I want us to wrestle with this morning is, how does love act? What, what do we do in the meantime? as we watch and wait for Jesus to return. We don't just shrug our shoulders and accept it, right? Love acts. Uh, and while I don't believe there are simple, easy answers to that question of what do we do in the meantime, uh, I do believe that an answer is found in that prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Specifically that part where it says, you remember this, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven, right? Think about that for just a minute. In, in heaven, God's will is done perfectly, right? In heaven, there is no sin, and, and, and all is as God originally intended it. In heaven, no one's treated unfairly because of the color of their skin. In heaven, no one goes hungry. In heaven, no one is taken advantage of. In heaven, no one has their life taken from them because in heaven... There's no longer the love of power. There is simply the power of love. And so one way to look at it, I think, is true justice is not about getting even or, or getting ahead. It's about getting heaven right here, right now. Because being a follower of Christ isn't just about us getting into heaven. It's about getting heaven into us and through us into this world and around into our broken and fallen world. We have this hope 
that's ours in Christ, when we make that decision to give our life to Christ, that we have the hope of heaven uh, for all eternity. But as followers of Christ, eternal life starts right here, right now. And so, and so we ask God to work in and through us so that we might see heaven on earth as it is in heaven. God's will be done. God's kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. When we pray that prayer, we're asking God for the realities of heaven to break through right here in our own zip code. We're asking God in heaven to move on his end as we take action here on our end towards the same ultimate end, which is on earth as it is in heaven, right? We can all agree on that, right? Uh, but, but how that plays out, that's sometimes that's, that's where it gets a little tricky, right? And, and it, how it gets kind of sticky sometimes. There are so many groups of people that, 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 that believe that they have all the right answers and yet we can't seem to agree on how all that works, right? We have political groups and advocacy groups and even religious groups. And the minute we try to engage in, in that work or even that conversation about things that might fall under the, the category of the justice of Jesus, we, we get labeled in, as being in one camp or another, don't we? We've come up with these labels like uh, Democrat or Republican or liberal or conservative or right-wing, left-wing, traditional, progressive, and so on and so forth, right? And, and I think the, the painful truth is I don't think Jesus would align himself fully with any of them. I heard somebody say once, God's not a donkey or an elephant. He's a lion and a lamb. He's the king of kings, and we are citizens of his kingdom first. I might get an email about that. I don't know. I just heard it, okay? The kingdom of God is where life is what life looks like when God is fully in charge on earth as it is in heaven. And, and to seek God's kingdom first, as God's word says, that we won't fully form our position on an issue just simply based on a, on a party's platform or an ideological camp because none of those fully represent the kingdom of God. That's, that's not their purpose. And that brings up another hard question I wanna throw out for you today for us to wrestle with. Is my allegiance to Jesus or to something or someone else? If the answer isn't to Christ, to Jesus, then, then the issue may not be justice, it might be idolatry. See, the definition of idolatry is basically to put anything or anyone above God. And, and Matthew's gospel shares Jesus' Sermon on the Mount that, that shows us this way forward. Uh, Jesus says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you. It doesn't mean that we can't associate ourselves with a, a certain group. It doesn't mean that those groups don't do good things, right? It just reminds us that our primary focus is God's kingdom and God's righteousness. And it's from that place that we, we seek to allow God to work in and through us with this idea of, of justice. The Bible references justice over 2,000 times. It's second only to references about idolatry. And it's so hard to, to, 
to wonder why we as Christians and as a church can't seem to agree on what that actually means. And I think the reason for that, at least in part, is because we've, we've gotten tied up in all these labels that distract us and, and divide us and, and blind us to the truth sometimes. The truth that's found in Christ, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. I was having a, a conversation this morning with some folks and, and there weren't easy answers, right? And, and we kind of at the end said, well, we don't know what the full answer is, but we know that the, the ultimate answer is, is Jesus. Steve Cordell, the, book, the author of the book, again, he says, the reason the early church doesn't fit a category is that it based its values on kingdom principles, not political platforms or societal norms. No single human ideology mirrors the values of the kingdom of God. Our goal is not to advance a political ideology, but to live according to the way of Jesus. Now, this is not a political sermon, and that's all I'm gonna say about that. My, my point is simply that at the very core, the justice of Jesus is, is not about being political, it's about being biblical. That G, the justice of Jesus is biblical. It's not grounded on anything of this world. It's not grounded on gr getting even or getting ahead. It's grounded in grace. It's not about making everything in the world be fair. It's about us being faithful in a world that unfortunately we know is not fair. And so we seek to be salt and light in those places, in those situations. And I wanna simply read for you this morning a few passages of scripture that, that kind of point us to this idea that give us some insight into this idea of justice. Uh, you've probably heard this famous passage from, uh, from the prophet Micah. Micah 6, 8 says, He has shown you, O mortal, what's good and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And then in this one from Zechariah, he says, this is what the Lord Almighty said, administer true justice, show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor, do not plot evil against each other. It seems like this biblical understanding of justice is almost always connected with compassion and mercy. It's about humble acts of obedience, often in favor of the least powerful, the most vulnerable in our society. If you think about it, that's exactly what Jesus did. And that's exactly what we're called to do as well. It's why God's word from the prophets offers some, some hard words to God's people. We, we kind of get called out sometimes, uh, both then and now, uh, in the name of justice. There's this difficult passage in Amos chapter five where, where we hear it say, I, I despise your religious festivals, your assemblies, are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I won't accept them. You bring me choice fellowship offerings. I have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I won't listen to the music of your harps, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. And then in Hosea, he says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. I think these passages and others like them challenge us to face this, this truth that, that our worship is worthless if we're not working for justice in the world. You've heard me say this before. I have a friend that's a pastor and he, he sends his congregation out every week and he says, you gotta go. It's time for you to go. Because if what we do in here doesn't make a difference out there, then what we do in here doesn't make a difference. 
And I think that's true, and I think that's what this passage is reminding us of. It's why God sent Jesus to this broken, fallen world to bring justice, to bring grace and mercy and love and compassion. Isaiah 43 says, here is my servant whom I uphold, who I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged until he establishes justice on earth. It says in faithfulness he will bring forth justice. Why Jesus quoted the prophets when he was questioned by the Pharisees about a justice issue, having dinner with tax collectors and sinners. Jesus uh, Matthew 9 says, on hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners. See, we know that justice won't be complete or perfect until Jesus returns, that we'll always have to deal with unfairness and injustice in this broken, fallen world, but that doesn't mean we shrug our shoulders and accept it. Love acts. If you're familiar with the author, Bob Goff, he has a great book titled, Love Does. And Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection is a constant reminder to us of this truth that love does, love acts. Love sent his one and only son so that all who believe in him Will not perish but have everlasting life. First John 3 says, Dear children, let us love not with words and speech, but with action and with truth. So, so we're called to continue to gather together and pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth that is in heaven. But then we roll up our sleeves and get to work, not for the love of power, but for the power of love. Until, as our communion liturgy says, until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Because it's not about getting even, it's not about getting ahead, it's about getting heaven on earth. So the question still remains, how do we do that? How do we remain faithful in this fallen world? How do we live a Jesus-shaped life in our own lives with regard to justice, the, the Apostle Paul says the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. And so I think that means that, at least practically speaking, it's a good place to start when we're approaching issues of justice is to ask the question, not necessarily how can I fix this situation, but, but how can I be faithful in this situation? Or to put it another way, how can I express love in this situation? That's what our friends from Hickson have been doing this weekend. They've been expressing love in our community in the name of Jesus. So what would that look like for us? Maybe in some of those more complicated or, or sticky situations, issues of justice in our world. Let me, let me give you a couple of examples. For example, maybe when we're dealing with, with issues of race, we might ask, what is the most loving response that I can have to those 
of a different race than me, regardless of what the issues are in the headlines. Another example might be what's, that our initial response to the issue of hunger is, is to acknowledge the hungry in our community as, as people. And, and we respond more to the people than the politics of hunger. And, and we respond to them and not it with love. Or, or what, if we, what if we ask this question? What will, this, what will the resolution of this issue look like in heaven? When we all get to heaven, when we all stand in the presence of Jesus, what will this, whatever this is, what will this look like? And how might we act right now? How might we respond right here, right now on earth as it is in heaven? And you and I both know that the, the answer, the most loving, faithful response is not always obvious or immediate in every, immediately apparent in every situation. That's why we have, to, we have to pray and we have to ask the Holy Spirit to guide us as we seek to follow Jesus and not simply follow the words that we, we read on social media or we hear on TV, right? That we wanna seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all those things will be given to us. You know, a lot of times when we, when we think about the justice of Jesus, we think about Jesus overturning the tables in the, in the temple, right? He was responding to the injustice that was happening there. And, and there's most certainly a time and a place for us to overturn tables in response to injustice. But if we read the gospels, we see so much more often, we, we find Jesus's life and ministry being defined not by the tables that he overturned, but by the tables that he invited people to. He invited the, the poor and the lame and the lepers and the marginalized and the forgotten and the widows and orphans and the Samaritans and the tax collectors and the sinners to the table. What a picture of justice and mercy and compassion. And in doing so, he ultimately turned the tables on a lot of the injustices in the broken, fallen world, both then and now. Not with political rallies, but with and through personal relationships. I just invite you to think about that a little bit as we think about justice. Kind of a tough topic for you guys to be here on today. I'm just now realizing. Thanks for hanging in there with us. Now it's true, there are most certainly systems of injustice in our country and in our world. And as Christians, we're not only called to call them out, but to reject and resist evil in every form and, and to repent of our participation in them as well. But what if, what if today, right here, right now, Jesus is calling us not just to overturn tables in the name of justice, but to invite people to the table? in the name of Jesus. How might those invitations to the table bring justice on earth as it is in heaven? True justice, not just getting even or getting ahead, but getting heaven right here, right now in our own zip code. That's what we practice every time we come to the table of Holy Communion. You probably notice that I 
I always like to say, this is not my table. This is not fellowship's table. This is not a United Methodist table. This is Christ's table. And Christ invites to his table all who love him and who seek to be in peace with God and with one another. As one preacher I heard say, the ground is level (laughs) at the foot of the cross, right? And so we all come as sinners in need of grace. And God most graciously and generously provides us with that. So as we come to the table of Holy Communion today, I wanna invite you to ask yourself this question. Who might God be calling me to invite to the table? One of my favorite quotes, one of my favorite authors, Max Lucado says, God loves you just the way you are, but he refuses to leave you that way because he wants you to become just like Jesus. That's the name of the book, Just Like Jesus. That's that's in a nutshell what the Jesus-shaped life is all about. It's about us becoming more and more like Jesus until one day we become just like Jesus. But one of the things that uh, was on my heart this week is that part of becoming just like Jesus is becoming just like Jesus is just. Does that make sense? See what I did there? (laughs) It's becoming just like Jesus is just. So, so my final question I wanna leave you with today is this. How are you going to be just like Jesus? How are you gonna act justly this week? How are you going to love mercy this week? How are you gonna walk humbly with God this week? How are you gonna live in such a way that you're becoming more just like Jesus? I think we have to acknowledge that we, we can't do that on our own, right? We have to ask God to do that in and through us. So we're gonna begin, uh, we're gonna begin our time of, of prayer. We're gonna begin our time of coming to the table today, the table of Holy Communion with a time of prayer. And we're gonna begin with what, what we've been calling our Jesus-shaped life prayer. It's gonna be on the screen. And then we're gonna close with, with the Lord's Prayer. It's gonna be on the screen as well. But I wanna invite you to, to start there with me today as we begin uh, by praying for this together. So will you pray with me? Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. God, we come to you today acknowledging that we have fallen short of your glory, that we all come as sinners in need of grace, but we also come as recipients of of your holy love. We know that your grace meets us right where we are and never leaves us there. And so we thank you for that, God. We thank you that you have created us in your image and that your grace goes before us. It is your grace that saves us and it, it is your grace that makes us more and more like Jesus every day as we put our faith and trust and hope in him. And so we come today, God, confessing our sin and acknowledging those places where we've fallen short of your glory, where we've not done your will, where we've broken your law, where we've failed to be an obedient church and we've not loved our neighbor and we've not heard the cry of the needy. God, we come asking forgiveness. But we come with confidence, Lord. We approach your throne of grace because we know already that we will receive mercy in the name of Jesus. God, we thank you that in the name of Jesus, we are forgiven. That God, that you 
demonstrated your love to us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, that that proves your love for us, God, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. We are so thankful for that demonstration of love that on the night that Jesus gave himself up for us, he, he broke bread and he, he gave thanks to God and he gave it to his disciples and he says, take this and eat it. This is my body that's broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he took a cup and he gave thanks to God and he gave it to his disciples and he said, drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me as a demonstration of my love for you. And so God, we pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on these gifts of bread and juice, that you would make them be for us the body and blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, so that we might be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. By your Holy Spirit, we pray that you would make us one with Christ and one with each other and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes again in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. All honor and glory is yours, almighty God, now and forever. Amen. I wanna invite you to take your communion cup. If you didn't get one, I'm sure our ushers can can get you one if you want to raise a hand. We'll make sure you got them. I think everybody's got one. But as you receive this gift this morning, I just want you to simply hear these words as you take the bread that you would hear these words. This is the body of Christ broken in love for you. And then as you drink the juice that you would hear these words. This is the blood of Christ shed in love for you. Thanks be to God. We're gonna sing one more song together. The band's gonna lead us, and as they do, the altars are gonna be open. If you'd like to, to pray, you're more than welcome to come pray. If you want somebody to pray with you, I would be honored to pray with you. If you just wanna pray in your seats, if you just wanna sit there and listen to the words or, or lift up your voice in praise, whatever that looks like, I just wanna encourage you for these last few minutes that you would just allow God to speak to your heart and that you would respond in whatever way you feel called. Um, would you stand as we sing?